Good morning. And what he said, right? Uh, we're still journeying through verse by verse in the book of 1 Peter. So if you'll find 1 Peter, it's right before 2 Peter. And uh, chapter 3, verse 18 is where we left off. If you find James, you're getting real close. If you get to John, you've gone too far. If you get to Revelation, you get to teach it. 1 Peter 3, beginning verse 18. For Christ died for sins on the cross once and for all. Now, whose sins did he die for? Did Christ ever sin? No, he was sinless, right? Sinless. So the sin was mine, ours. It's an individual sin. It's a collective sin. You know, congregations can sin against the Lord, right? They can follow a wrong path and sin against the Lord. Companies and corporations can sin against the Lord, making decisions that aren't pleasing to him. And then individuals, couples, families, etc. It's our sins. Christ died for sins once and for all. Does Christ ever have to die again for your sins? No. If you commit a sin tomorrow, does Christ die for it? No. no. The righteous for the unrighteous. Christ was righteous who died for the unrighteous, you and I, to bring you to God. In other words, so that we can have a relationship with our Father that created us. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Once again, a great example of what we will face one day. Our body, right? Death in the body, but alive in the spirit. <coughs> Your human spirit is alive right now and always will be. Your human spirit was created, right? It had a beginning point, so it's not God, but it has an eternal <laughs> nature to it, and that is your human spirit lives forever. It will live forever in heaven, or it will live forever in hell. Those are two choices. There's no in-between. We're going to get to the in-between in just a moment. But now there's no in-between. It's heaven or it's hell. <clears throat> Jesus died in his body as an example that our body will die. We've got an 80 or 90 or 100-year mission assignment, right, sent by God to tell people about God. We're here for 80 years in this body, in this earth suit, and then we shed this earth suit and take on a new suit uh, when we get to heaven, right? But made alive in the spirit. Your spirit will always be made alive. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So here's a question. How long did it take for Noah and the guys to build the ark? Was it 120 years? Yeah, 120 years, right? 120 years. And here's a point I want to make, and I'll bring it back again at some time. God makes it hard for people to go to hell. God makes it hard for people to go to hell. We often think, oh, God just zaps people and sends them to hell. When God plainly says in his word, I do not take delight in the death of the wicked. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So for 120 years, Noah kept saying it's going to rain. It's going to rain, it's going to rain, oh, you better get ready and bear this in mind. I'm the only one that knows that song, I can say, all right, <laughs> that I won't go any further with it. I've already done my comedy routine this morning, so I won't sing anymore either, all right? Through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. 
Now, when do we think Adam was born or made? Not born, made, created. Anybody want to guess what year? It's not like there was a calendar around, but. Yeah, yeah. So, so 4004 is what some of the best scholars think. 4004 BC, right? So long, anybody around then can verify that? Okay, nobody. 4004. And so, when did the flood occur? This is for all you math people this morning. This is a little, just for the math people. 2349. 2349 BC. Nobody was around then. So how many years was that? Almost 2,000. Right. 1,655, according to my notes I've written down here, right? That's close. 1,655 years. So Adam and Eve, uh, we don't know exactly what year they sinned. Right? We don't have that in a record. But let's just say they were 55 years old when they chose to sin. Right? That's 1,600 years God waited to send the flood. Here's the point I'm trying to make. God makes it hard for people to go to hell. He's patient. For 1,600 years, he put up with the wickedness of the world, waiting for them to repent, wanting them to repent, hoping they would repent, doing everything he could to demonstrate his love for them so they would repent, and they chose not to repent, so the flood came. Right? So all those people, all those people died, and they died without hearing the gospel message. They died without hearing the gospel message. And so from 2349 up until Jesus was born, which scholars think was 3 B.C., 3 B.C., the calendar had a little glitch there, so it's not zero like we think, you know, before Christ, after Christ. And so he was born, and he lived 33 years, ministered for the last two and a half to three years of his life. We have a record of 31 days of his life. That's all the record we have in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John only record about 31 days of his life, right? Then he died, and he rose again, right? And so all the people that died before Christ died on the cross and rose again had not had the chance to hear the gospel from Jesus. So they were in, the Bible calls it prison here, kind of like a holding tank, a place where people went waiting God's judgment on sin, which he placed on Christ. Remember, God judged the sin that Christ took into himself, our sins Christ took into himself. God judged that, right? He judged the sin. And so now the people who've been in the holding tank, so to speak, we don't know exactly what that is. It's too speculative. There's at least four different theories from scholars, and I won't go into all that. It's not important. But what happened was when Jesus died, he went and preached to those in prison. That's what it says right here as he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, we find this, you say, well, is there anywhere else in the Bible that talks about this? Let's find Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Lisa taught on this in our youth group this past week, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, that's y'all, okay, the southern version would be to each one of y'all, right? Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, that's Jesus, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So what does it mean he ascended? When it also means he also descended to the lower <laughs> earthly regions. 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill all the universe. So we have a couple of places in the Bible. And then also back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. Oh, he lost a dinosaur. Can you help him out, Scott? It's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's right, right on that side. We'll get it after church. That's all right. Don't want the little fella crying. I know. You lose your Tyrannosaurus Rex and it's, it goes downhill. Shiny, Tiny, and Don and Buddy. Anybody with me? Anybody seen Dinosaur Train? You go, girl. That's right. Two pe three people knew about it. Great. Shiny, Tiny, and Don are tyrann Tyrannodons. And Buddy is the Tyrannosaurus Rex, in case you haven't seen Dinosaur Train. I digress greatly. <laughs> it's a great program if you've got, you got grandkids, preschoolers. Dinosaur Train, Dinosaur Train. <laughs> Watch it sometimes. You'll enjoy it. So <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 6 says, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So we've got this mysterious passage, and I don't want to get hung up on it. But I just want you to know that Jesus preached to those people before he died on the cross that had already died. He preached the gospel to them in some fashion and gave them the chance to hear the gospel. And I suppose gave them the chance to respond to that gospel in some way. God makes it hard for people to go to hell. It's the point I'm trying to make here with this couple of verses everybody that we run into God is trying to make it hard for them to go to hell they will turn the TV on at two o'clock at night when they can't sleep exhausted life is terrible and they turn the TV on and who pops up Billy Graham the reruns right or some other pastor that's that's on there and that person just says something and the person sitting in the living room goes they're talking straight to me and they give their life to Jesus or the person goes to the hotel room and they're it's 3 o'clock in the morning, they can't sleep, they wake up and they open the drawer beside the, the bed there and there's a Gideon Bible, right? And they pick the Bible up and start reading and the verse just jumps out at them. That is God doing what God does best, trying to make sure that nobody goes to hell. He's not willing that any should suffer, uh, that any should perish, but all should come to, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't take death, he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's how God works. He doesn't want people to go to hell. All right, let's move on. It says, <clears throat> He disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Baptism is a symbol of the life, death, and burial and resurrection that a Christian goes through. When a, when a believer is taken into the water, they're placed under the water, that symbolizes death. When they come back up out of the water, it symbolizes life. Now what Peter is saying is, he's saying that baptism doesn't save you. Baptism will never save you. The water will never save you. The same water you drink, the same water that's in your washing machine, the same water that's in your swimming pool, it's, it's the same water you're baptizing. So there's nothing mystical or magical about the water. Baptism is a symbol. I wear a wedding band. And that wedding band tells somebody that looks, oh, he's married, right? 
if I take this wedding band off and put it in my pocket, am I still married? Because I made a commitment to someone, right? We make a commitment to people, right? And so the wedding band is symbolic. That's what baptism is. It's symbolic of something I've done. It's something on the inside. It's symbolized by something on the outside. And Peter's saying we're not, we're not saved through baptism. We're saved because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying. That the cross has the final word. It's not really the cross that has the final word. It's Jesus has the final word, but he died on the cross. So we look at it and see the symbolism. Jesus said it's done. It's finished. All right? Salvation is for those who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And now Jesus is sitting at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, when we, uh, Wayne went to preaching earlier, really good sermon, by the way. I was, I was egging you on. That's, oh, no, I want you to. I'm like, that's awesome. That's all right. But when we do that, Wayne, when we, what you were just saying is spot on. To the, to the gospel is spot on because Jesus has authority over all angels, powers, and, and when we step in and say the same thing that Jesus would say to the demons or Satan, then we're saying the same thing he's saying. We're just saying it out loud in this realm because Jesus is saying it all the time because he has authority over all the demons. He has authority over all evil that's going on, but he invites us into the process. He says, I've got the authority, I'm giving it to you, but you've got to do something with it. And when we sit around like knots on a log, come on now, when we sit around and don't do a thing about it, you say, woe is me, this is going to happen, I can't do a thing about it. Well, guess what? It's going to happen. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when we step out in boldness like Wayne did and say, get out of here, get behind me, get out of here. When we do that, we are saying the same thing that Jesus would say if he were standing here. You see... There's no plan B. Plan A is Jesus died, rose again, lives in us, and he wants to live his life through us. But if we don't let him through obedience, it's not going to happen. And we will sit around and be taken captive by the enemy, taken captive by thoughts, taken captive by whatever it is, because we don't say, I rebuke you, get out of here. I rebuke you, get out of here, just like Jesus did, because that's what he would say. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Right? Christ suffered in his body. Offer, uh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I'm done with sin. I'm just not doing this anymore. Right? You know, sin, the continuous sins that we do, uh, God doesn't see because they've been forgiven in Christ, right? If Jesus died and, he, and all of our sins have, were in his blood, right? We're covered in his blood, then God doesn't see those sins. So it's not like God sitting there and saying, well, Jim sinned again. What, what God is seeing is the distance I am from being more like Christ. And he wants to urge me on and encourage me on to be more like Christ. That's the direction he's trying to push me, right? As a result... He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So what's more important to God, your sacrifice or your obedience? What does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Thank you. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? 
Obedience to God's voice speaking to you is better than any sacrifice you can make. God, God doesn't want us wandering around trying to figure out what else we can throw up on the altar. He just wants us to put ourselves on the altar. Right? Isn't that what it says in Romans? Isn't that what it says? It says, be a, become a living sacrifice before God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. It's amazing the things we as humans worship, isn't it? Yes. Put your phone down for 24 hours and don't look at it. <laughs> Do without internet access or Wi-Fi access for 24 hours and see how you feel. Right? Right? Do without food for 24 hours. Okay, let's don't, let's don't go down that one. <laughs> that doesn't sound too good. That doesn't sound too promising, does it? What, do you, what, what, what is your idol? I mean, we even have TV programs, American Idol, right? Is that still going on? I don't watch it, so I don't know. I mean, we have a whole TV program called American Idol. Idolatry slips up on you. It sneaks in the back door. It stays under the bed for a while. Then it moves to the closet. And then it enters the room. And you're comfortable with it at that point. And that's why I must cry out to God. God, what are the idols in my life? Help me discard them. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. In other words, they make fun of you because you don't join in the bad things that are going on. Right? But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Remember, Jesus spoke to those who were dead. But there's coming a judgment day for all of us, the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment for Christians. It's not a judgment of going to heaven or hell. It's a judgment of what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Did I give you a gift and did you use it? Did I give you an opportunity to minister to someone and you said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. The judgment seat of Christ is what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you a husband. I gave you a wife. I gave you a child. I gave you parents. I gave you a job. What did you do with what I gave you? Were you faithful to what I gave you? Now, there is going to be a judgment, the great white throne judgment, and that will be a judgment of heaven and hell for those who are lost and without Christ. It will be a judgment of the nations. God will separate them as the sheep of the goats, the Bible says. But there is coming a judgment. And when you look at the wickedness in the world and you wonder, why? Why does it keep going? Where is the justice? It's coming. It's coming. God makes it hard for people to go to hell. That's the principle. We look and say, God, why don't you judge the world? Why don't you judge the wickedness here? Why don't you judge the wickedness there and do something about it? God said, I'm going to. But I'm trying to make it really hard for people to go to hell because I love all people. See, God's at work all the time in everybody's life all around the world trying to convince them that he loves them. But there is coming a judgment. 
of the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Hey, listen, the next time you're having a bad week or a bad day, <laughs> remember that scripture. Memorize it. The end of all things is near, right? This too shall pass. Therefore, be clear-minded in self-control so that you can pray. Wow. Be clear-minded in self-control so that you can pray. If you're not clear-minded and you're not self-controlled, the Bible says you're going to have a hard time praying. Above all, despise each other deeply. Is that what it says? Above all, pick on each other on Facebook. Is that what it says? Above all, Twitter some trash, right? Is that what it says? Wrong again. Above all, love each other deeply. Matter of fact, he said earlier in chapter 1, he said, love one another deeply, deeply from the heart. Deeply from the heart. Really love people. Love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we're trying to cover up people's sins. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when somebody sins and you come in and share love with them and try to encourage them and put them back on the right path, the right path, it helps them hopefully not to sin again. It hopefully helps to lead them in a better direction, right, as we love one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, what is hospitality in this context? Is it sharing your Airbnb house? Hospitality is, in this context is food. Right? It's food. So if you've got a banana pudding, you should share it with the pastor. <laughs> I'm just quoting the scripture right here. Right? <laughs> if you're grilling some shrimp, you should share it with the pastor. If you're, if you're cooking a filet mignon, you should share it with Melinda. You. You're welcome. <laughs> Trying to help you out, brother. <laughs> Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift. Each one should use whatever gift or gifts he has received to serve others. And if you've got a gift, use it. Use it. Don't hold back. Use the gift. Right? Faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Now, everybody can't get up and preach a sermon. Everybody can't get up and lead worship as amazing as Wayne does, right? I can't run that computer back there that Taylor's running. This, I couldn't put those words on the screen if I had to. I'd get a magic marker and write them up on the screen, right? That'd be the best I could do. But she's got a gift back there. Somebody makes the coffee every Sunday morning. That's a gift. George, is that you? Making the coffee? Good job. We all have gifts that we use when we gather. We all have gifts that we use when we scatter. Jesus said, use the gift. Use the gifts. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Oh, no. 
this is really bad. I didn't know I was going to have to do all this. Don't, don't act like that. Just know that in this world, we're going to suffer trials. A pastor I served under one time, you say, everybody's got problems. He always reminded me that, Jim, everybody's got problems. Some big, some small, but everybody's got problems. Always remember that. But don't let it define you. Don't let it define you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Go tell people about Jesus. If they mock you, let them mock you. You're going to be blessed. But go tell people about Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Don't be a knot on the law. Go tell people about Jesus. Everywhere you go, whenever you go. Uh, some of you know this. Uh, leadership knows this at the church. and Maybe some others. But I've, I've been taking some courses through FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, as a part of my amateur radio uh, education, trying to learn more about amateur radio emergency services. And this past week I was in Nashville for two days taking a conference. And actually, as part of my training, I got to lead one of the units of the two-day conference. It's really, really cool. And so you've got 32 people sitting there, all of them Department of Defense, Navy, Army, Air Force. All these people sitting there, I was completely intimidated by the, by the level of service and sacrifice in the room. And when it came my time to get up, you're supposed to tell who you are and why you're involved in it. And I just stood right there and told them all that I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And several of them came up to me afterwards and said, <coughs> said, you know what? Can I ask you some Bible questions? I don't go to church anywhere, but can I? I said, sure, here's my card. And so some of them, hopefully I'll get to meet with them in the next couple of weeks and tell them more about Jesus. People in the room in Nashville don't go to church anywhere and have questions about Jesus. You see, God makes it hard for people to go to hell. He's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them that he loves them. And if he can use me and a group of amazing people sitting in a room, and some of them don't go to church, don't read their Bible, don't anything about God, I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to do that. Father, use me. Use me. So I now have an opportunity to share Jesus with some people. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Never doubt your anointing. All of you in this room have an anointing. It rests on you. And listen, listen real carefully. That anointing will tick off the evil in other people. Let me say that again in German. That anointing will tick people off who don't know Jesus Christ. And you will feel it and you will sense it. Don't back down. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be, not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Okay, we won't go there. All right. <laughs> I, I was thinking Facebook again, but I'll stop. Okay. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody hits you upside the head, say, thank you, Jesus. How about hitting this side? Thank you, Jesus. Right? It doesn't say what to do after the second hit. That's up to you. <laughs> Just saying. Right? For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. 
Ouch. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So this morning, your challenge is to commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Remember, Peter was written in the midst of persecution. And he's trying to tell us how to act and live and have our lives in the midst of persecution we may be going through today. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for Jesus Christ who makes it possible for us to have a relationship with our Father. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come now and have your way with us. Just have your way with us, Holy Spirit. Come and teach us, guide us, minister to us, convict us, convince us, challenge us, encourage us. Strengthen us, heal us. Come, Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's share communion together for good.